the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right, let's get back in here on New Generation Declassified. Of course, every single week here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week we take that journey back in time and we go back and talk about the finer days of professional wrestling and our era of course is the new generation years this week a little bit of a spin because we will talk about eras surrounding our beloved new generation and beyond uh but i'm really happy and proud to uh, welcome in today a uh, new england luminary joining his cast of characters from the uh, new england wrestling universe that have already been on with us in the past. I am uh, so delighted to welcome in Joe Bruin, the uh, the curator of the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame, as well as the New England uh, Fan Fest. And we're going to talk about all that. But Joe, it's great to connect with you tonight. Chad, same here, man. Thank you so much for having me and, uh, and taking the time. And uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, you know, you and I connected uh, a couple months back uh, innocuously. I had reached out to you with a question and uh, kind of left it at that. Uh, you have a dynamic Facebook group that I'm a part of that's uh, a learning experience, uh, to say the least. Uh, but again, you know, being a memorabilia guy myself, always kind of knowing the trends, always seeing like where the collectible industry, especially the wrestling industry, is headed. Uh, you seem to be the one that is like got the finger on the pulse of our topic today, and that's going to be the WWF publicity photos. Uh, and we'll stick with topic of the mid 90s during the meat and potatoes of the interview, but just as a whole, uh, tell people about your background, how you got involved with the business, and then we'll uh, start talking about the fun stuff. Sure. Um, well, I always grew up as a, a big wrestling fan, huge, you know, WWF for the most part. Um, that's kind of what I grew up. So Saturday morning, Sunday morning, the whole superstars challenge. That was me. Uh, never missed an episode. And uh, from there, you know, we, we didn't have cable at first, so we ended up getting cable. So that opened up my eyes to shows like Mania and Action Zone and Shotgun Saturday Night. And I was one of those kids that just did not stop with the VCR. I literally taped every single show. Um, so I had hundreds and hundreds of tapes in my house. Uh, never missed a Raw. And, uh, you know, just grew up a big fan. And from there, uh, I met the Macho Man Randy Savage. That was the first superstar that I ever met. And that was at a Almax Food Festival, which was <laughs> held at the Providence Civic Center. And that wow. was in 1991. So that was my first encounter with a star, my first encounter obtaining an autograph. And uh, that very same year, they did another food festival there. I met the Bushwhackers. Um, so that kind of really got me into meeting the guys and just having an appreciation for, you know, what they're handing you with the autographs and, you know, something you can hold and remember and, uh, you know, as far as the official promo photo, because that was more so like an event mat, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, but the official promo, the first one I ever got was actually from Bret Hart. Uh, my mom had wrote a letter to the WWF trying to surprise me for my birthday. And they actually sent an authentic promo photo of Bret with his real signature on it. And uh, nice enough to do that for my birthday. So that was probably around 1995. And that was right in the heart of the new generation. And uh, that was the first official promo photo that I got. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an interesting little subgenre of the wrestling collectibles. Um, so growing up in the New England area, you know, obviously WWF is going to be the number one. You know, we talked to uh, Knuckles Nelson about, you know, what it was like working in the business in the early 90s. You know, I talked, <clears throat> excuse me, I talked to Coach uh, Mike Hollow about, you know, what it was like uh, training during that time. But you as a fan, you know, kind of in the same age range as myself. We were in a transition phase in the the mid '90s. You know, we had all those superstars like Hogan and Savage and Piper and Warrior and all those guys were starting to kind of fade to the background in the WWF and the new generation. This new crop of guys, we had to kind of get used to them. Uh, but we had some familiar faces there. You mentioned Bret Hart. You know, the Shawn Michaels of the world. What was it about the new generation that kept you hooked when so many people decided that was the time they were going to step away? Well, this is the thing. So even in the 80s, you know, when you had the big names like Hogan, like you said, Warrior, Macho Man, I loved any, anything and everything wrestling. So it didn't matter who they were. I was hooked. But I always had a special place. I don't know why for a special place in my heart for all of the oddball superstars. That was just me. I, I loved Kamala. I loved Papa Shango, the Berserker. You know, all of those odd gimmicks, I was obsessed with them, each and every one of them, nails. Uh, so once the new generation came on board, it gets a lot of uh, a lot of hate. A lot of people don't like it because of all the funny gimmicks. Um, but, you know, to be honest with you, they still had the superstar power there with Diesel, Razor, Brett and Sean, Undertaker. Um, and then on the side, obviously, they had guys like Mantar and the Goon and the Stalker and, you know, all these gimmicks. But I don't know. I just... I loved each and every one of them. And you had Rad Radford and Make a Difference Fatu and Barry Horowitz. You know, I just, uh, I felt there was room for all of them. And I always had an appreciation for the enhancement talent as well. Some people call them jobbers, whatever you uh, prefer. You know, I was just a, a student of the game. So, you know, I enjoyed watching Barry Hardy and, and Dwayne Gill in tag team action as much as I enjoyed uh you know duke the dumpster drossy against hunter hearst helmsley so now how often were you going to matches for the uh, the wwf house shows that would come through the area it was i i went once in the 80s with my mom um didn't go again until about 1993 uh we had third or fourth row on the floor and from that point on i never missed a show at the providence civic center anyways from 93 until probably around 2005 Wow. Okay. That's a hell of a run to go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I'm sure by the end of that in 2005, you're sitting there going like, oh my God, it's not the same. I wish it would go back to how it was 10 years ago. And now we're sitting here almost 20 years removed from that going, oh my God, I wish we'd go back to 20 years ago when it was different. <laughs> and it's just kind of funny how the uh, progression of a wrestling fan goes. And it's true. That's exactly how my friends and I felt uh, in 2004. And that's kind of the same, uh, same feeling today, like you said, and it, it just comes in, in different waves, but I guess what you have to do is just appreciate what you have while it's here. It may be different from what you know and what you're comfortable with, but in the end, you're going to wish it was back, you know, right. but we're made to be fickle, you know, because we were spoiled for a time. Right. You know, we had this great era of, uh, the 1980s that really kind of you know, <laughs> like I said, spoiled us. But then, you know, the mid nineties, for those of us that stuck around, I got to say, you know, when I talk about it every week on the show, there, there's some of the best stuff that you probably have never seen 
if you tapped out or you never went back to watch, that's hidden inside of the new generation. You know, I've been watching a lot more, you know, for homework of the show and seeing how much Vince seems invested in some of these storylines. And his commentary seems a little ramped up on some shows because obviously he knows that the towns are down. He knows that business is in the toilet and he's putting all he can behind each storyline. So it's just kind of funny. The people that don't give it a chance would probably really enjoy it based off of the fact that, yeah, now today it's not everybody's cup of tea, but go back there. And if you sift through the things that people don't like that you love, the Kamala's and the goon and, you know, the cheesy stuff that people identify that era with, there is a ton of great content just waiting to be discovered. And I'll even dump the Undertaker versus Undertaker storyline in the cheesy column because that was really like, you know, not great looking back when you've watched the whole angle play out. But the SummerSlam 94 card is, is amazing. So it kind of cancels itself out. <laughs> right. Chicago United Center is the very first event there. Uh, brand new place. And uh, that is one of the cards that stands out as a kid. From top to bottom, just a solid show. A real solid show. Brett and Owen in a cage. One of the greatest cage matches, in my opinion. Yes. And uh, and Undertaker, Undertaker, if you're watching that for the first time as a child, you know, you're going to be invested with the buildup. And it was uh, it was a great payoff. And and that was the story. You know, if you're going in as an adult, checking it out, obviously, you're looking more at wrestling skill and that sort of thing. You know, maybe it's not for you, but uh, overall, just a fun time and a fun pay-per-view. And just to continue the narrative we have on the show, uh, I'm sure you did not see the uh, the turn coming from the Native American Tatanka. <laughs> I I absolutely did not, and it's funny. I guess a lot, you know, watching that pay per view back, a lot of fans uh, did realize that that was going to happen. I was not one of them. Me neither. And just completely <laughs> caught off guard. And uh, they just did a great job. They they reeled us right in. <laughs> There's a there's a gentleman in Ireland right now who's yelling at his uh, his iPhone because uh, it's his favorite angle of all time. So right. we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. But let's talk about the topic at hand here, the publicity uh, photo. So you talked about the first one that you got. Um, when did you realize you were starting to kind of amass a collection of them attending these meet and greets? Well, so that Bret Hart was in '95. Um, even though I was young, I was a kid. I was 11, 12. I would still keep them in pristine condition. I, I was just I guess it was an OCD thing about me and uh, probably didn't really start gathering a bunch of them until honestly, probably into the 2000s. So more like 2002, okay. uh, somewhere around there. And what I was doing was gathering at that time, a lot of current roster people. So, you know, 2002 copyright, but also going back and trying to find as many of the older superstars that I could. Um, you know, the biggest collection I've had at once was just over 3,000 promo photos. Wow. Um, ended up selling most of my collection off, and uh, what it did was was get us into a house, my family and I. So, uh, really, it was a, a great payoff. And now that we're in the house and, and kind of settled, I've uh, gotten back into the game, and uh, I've been collecting promo photos already up to about 500 promos, so. Yeah, I mean, that was where, you know, it really caught my attention, you know, the amount of uh, pictures that you had, and not only just the amount, but just the rarity of some, of not knowing that outside of the ones that, I mean, I know of as doing memorabilia shows and going to independent shows as a kid, and, you know, you'd always see the random headliner of the independent show have the stack of pictures on the table, and when you sure. saw one with the little WWF logo, you would go, oh, I 
think I want that one. And I was the same way. I started to amass some, and there was something about it that I liked, whether it was the official nature of it, that it's a WWF picture. I mean, for the most part, they're just studio photos. There's some action shots, but they're just studio photos. So there's nothing really that's going to stand out outside of knowing that it's a branded WWF publicity photo. But I don't think that, you know, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, when some of these legends would be going to shows that they were essentially kind of giving away something that was very valuable. And I know at that time, people like yourself, me to a lesser extent, kind of picked up on that. And we started to kind of stock up, if you will. Exactly. And and those things were, were given to the superstars for these signings. Um, little 8 by 10 boxes, you know, you maybe had 100 in there. And they were not treated as, as such a, a special piece. They'd be thrown all over the place and, you know, sold for five, 10 bucks. And, uh, maybe some were, you know, damaged or thrown out. And in most cases, that's exactly what happened. A lot of them were lost. A lot of them were damaged. And that's why so many of them have become so obscure. You know, you have somebody like maybe Razor Ramon with the intercontinental title. Obviously they probably made a lot of that because, he was a very popular superstar, right. you know, he had a good run. So they needed them for multiple signings. Whereas a new generation talent like Bertha Fay or man mountain rock, they were probably given. And in some cases, this is the case. They were given one small box of promotional photos to take to events. Once that box was gone, that was it. Wow. So yeah, I mean, there's a rad Radford promo that just sold, uh, just a few days ago, and that is the only known Rad Radford promo, you know, to be out there in existence as of now. So yeah, I had followed that. That was uh, impressive, and it had a very unique inscription on it, and it was uh, it was quite quite simply like a breathtaking item, since it's not anything I'd ever seen before. So it was pretty cool to uh, to check that out. But okay, the new generation era talent, you know, you mentioned Bertha Fay or Rad Radford. When you're looking for something that you haven't seen before does it have to be that it's rare or does it have to be like a completist i want to get everything of every photo that they've released well for me personally i guess it is like i mentioned before it's kind of like an ocd situation where i i have to have everything sure i have favorites i have certain eras but in the end if i don't have it and i see it and it's a good deal i'm gonna snatch it because you know, ideally you want to have as many as possible. Um, I don't know anybody that's ever, you know, been able to get every single one out there. And that's the other thing is right. they're not documented uh, and they're not documented properly. I should say, uh, even within the WWE, uh, there are missing P numbers because some of the promo photos are P numbered. Yeah. Um, so really there's no keeping track of what's actually out there. And us collectors that have even been doing this for 20, 25 years are now seeing promos pop up that we've never seen before that somebody's had in their closet for 25 years. So, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say next is like, you could be a completist. You could think you have the whole run. And then all of a sudden somebody goes in a bin and they find a grand opening of a store with the logo on it. And you go, oh, crap, here we go again. So <laughs> talk to me about that. So tell me about a story or, or a find that you found to be so unique that you've never seen it ever again. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, I have a Doink and Dink promo uh, as part of the holiday, I believe it was the Holiday Wish Tour, okay. um, where they were with uh, some children um, 
you know, from the foundation and they actually made that into a, a promotional photo. And I was able to pick that up. I still have that one to this day and I've never seen it again. Um, it's just one of those rare, you know, situations. Uh, there's another one, the WWF blimp, which was used <laughs> to, to promote the company essentially in uh, the new generation era. And they made it into a promo photo. Um, you know, I, I picked it up for $12 uh, from somebody who just didn't realize its value. They just found it in a pile of stuff and, you know, they put an opening bid five bucks or something. And I snatched it, walked away with, with it for 12 bucks. I uh, ended up selling it for $2,000. <laughs> so I sold it for $2,000 when I had to, you know, raise money to, to get the house. And, uh, thankfully now that I've, I've gotten the place, um, I've, you know, received another, uh, blimp promo. So we're kind of, uh, back in business there, but there's promos that are like that, that are just so limited print that when you see it, you have to bite because literally if you see one on eBay and you know, it's original, you have to bite that moment or somebody will snatch it within seconds. Now, what have you seen in terms of when there's a ton of reproductions out there? So I don't even want to go down the reproduction route, you know, people and, and obviously a lot of the, the signings that go on, people print them off of the Google images and there's some very high resolution ones. So you might be fooled. What do you do to verify that it's a real promo? Okay. Because uh, I know WCW, you could get a cardstock promo, but you could also get a piece of paper promo if, if you were ever so inclined. So tell me, how do you go through the kind of like authenticity process to know that it's a legit promo? So really, you just have to kind of stick with it for, for many years and really just kind of feel out the whole process. So WCW, they had paper promos that were primarily used for actual autograph signings where their glossy promotional photos were primarily used for the press. Right. You know, uh, promo photos in general are not available to the public. They're meant for the press, for the newspapers, different outlets. Um, but WCW, they did have the paper that was primarily used for the signings. The glossy would be uh, for the press. And then uh, occasionally they had the card stock that wasn't a high gloss. It was just simply card stock. And that was for uh press as well but that was kind of in the later era so 98 99 2000 uh right around there so they kind of changed it up here and there but as long as you were kind of following it you know you can kind of see that they they broke it up into sections and it's pretty easy to follow but what you're definitely looking for with wcw is there was never an eight and a half by 11 made where a lot of a lot of people are always constantly selling eight and a half by 11s and saying it's an original but uh, you can't have both. <laughs> so, you know, they were always eight by 10 in size, uh, regardless whether it was, you know, cardstock or, or gloss. Leave it to WCW to do it completely stupid and with no rhyme or reason. And, uh, you know, the WWF, of course, to have this like amazing piece of uh, <laughs> uh, WWF branded paper that you now add to your collection. But WCW right. is so weird. Again, there's no rhyme or reason to really any of their collectibles. No, no, they had some really random stuff, some obscure stuff that even kids, you know, probably wouldn't be interested in. They'll just slap WCW on anything. It was very strange. Now, talk about some of the maybe more off-brand convention or store opening pictures you found. Somebody does a, a grand opening signing, something like that. Give me some of the more random names you've seen in your uh, your travels. 
Uh, so I've seen Circuit City. I've seen uh, Sound Effects. I've seen Almax. Um, there are some SmackDown UPN when it used to be on that channel. Uh, oh, promo, wow. yeah, promo photos of more so like the Divas, Tori Wilson, Trish Stratus. Um, Epic Records uh, throughout the 80s and 90s had a few with Hogan and Mr. T and Junkyard Dog. Um, so, you know, there's always constantly these these other businesses and, and companies that um, will be tied in. And for the most part, they're always legit. Um, they were used for, again, for press or for signing. Uh, but every once in a while, somebody kind of just slaps something together. And, uh, you know, really, you just have to kind of, if you don't, if you can't figure it out yourself, you got to turn to somebody who's been doing it for a long time. Uh, WWF gets a little tricky. Um, they do have eight and a half by 11s. Uh, usually yeah. when it's eight and a half by 11, it's going to be color for the most part. Um, they do, they would be cardstock as well. And then they also have the photo glossy, you know, photo paper kind of promo photo that was primarily used in the eighties. Right. And those were eight by tens. And as they got into the mid nineties, they were still glossy often black and white, 8x10. Um, but as they transitioned into 96, they started to become more cardstock, less gloss. Um, so kind of from 96 on, you would never see a watermark on the back of the promo. It would just be solid white. So that's kind of a, a key that it is original. Um, but 95 and uh, you know prior to that, there were several glossy promos that did have a watermark on the back um never fuji film so if you see a fuji film that's going to throw you off that was probably just you know scanned right uh you know but uh kodak is legit there it was on the backs of you know many of the wwf promo photos um uh, back then so there's really a lot to look for when it comes to wwf but are the reproductions becoming a problem for the collector who's really trying to get that authentic authenticity of the original set of pictures? It is because now you have somebody like me or another longtime collector that sees it on eBay. It's listed as an original. Okay. Once you get it in your hand, you're like, wait a minute, this is not yeah. an original. Um, and the, the problem is, is there are so many new collectors, which that's not the problem. It's a great thing that a lot of people are getting involved, but they just don't know the history of it. And now they're obtaining all of these fakes and they're trading them with other collectors. They're selling them as originals and they're indeed not. So now they're just saturating the market. Um, and there's a lot of eBay sellers that are selling tons of copies and it's really gotten out of hand. So I'm kind of at the point where if it's a trusted seller that I know on eBay that I've bought from before and they've been in the game a long time and I see one posted, sure, I know it's original. I'll snag it. Um, if it's not, I'm not going to use something like eBay. I'm usually going to turn to a, a longtime collector, a wrestling historian, somebody who's moving items from their personal collection. You know, otherwise, you just don't know what you're going to get these days. Yeah, and some of them are very good reproductions, and it throws you off when you see the listing. And unless you ask the right questions, you know, you're going to get stuck with a copy. And I had a guy who had sent in a, uh, a promo photo of Lex Luger, uh, the one with the red background, red, white, and blue tights. Uh, sent it in for a signing. It had gotten lost in the mail back to them. You know, I'm sitting here thinking they lost this treasured picture, and, you know, I'm killing myself over it. Uh, ended up coming back to me like six months later after I had refunded the buyer who did not really seem to care about the loss of the photo. Lo and behold, when I looked at it a little bit more, 
it was a reproduction, and that's probably why they didn't really give a crap. But oh, wow. even me, who've seen these things for 25, 30 years, I even thought at first glance, without really getting in and looking at it, that it was an official one. But no, it was a uh, reproduction. It had the, um, uh, the you know, like you said on the back with the, uh, you know, the uh, I don't know, Wal- Walgreens or something. It had like a, a printing name on the back of it, and I didn't notice it the first time around. And I just thought that this had been lost but when they didn't care i was like well that's kind of weird <laughs> right and then i knew and then i knew why <laughs> yeah exactly sometimes it's very faint you really got to look for it and you say oh wait a minute there is something here and it ends up being a fake how about for the events so in the 80s there were tons of you know like SummerSlam related promos with usually the main event matches that were, were printed on it with the SummerSlam logo and whatever the tagline was and the, the pay-per-view details what about in the mid 90s? Do they have any pay-per-view specific promos that are floating around? Um, yeah, they have a Domino's uh, SummerSlam promo from uh, Undertaker for SummerSlam 94. Uh, so that is probably one of the more popular ones that everybody kind of knows about as a collector. Um, there are a couple in your house promos from uh, 96, 97. Uh, with guys like Ahmed Johnson, some of the members of the, the Nation of Domination, um, there's an Owen Hart versus Stone Cold publicity photo where it's kind of like a separate image of each of them. They're not together. And uh, it's got the, uh, you know, the pay-per-view right. uh, logo there. And then there are also some uh, King of the Ring uh, paper thin WWF promos that were made specifically for signings around the same time, 96, 97. Um, but yeah, there were a lot back then, you know, 96, 97. WWF did so many signings that were free to the public, which was awesome. Um, they weren't super well advertised, so you could show up and there's only 50 people in line. Yeah. And, you know, you're getting uh, an official promo, but it's an event promo, like you said, with the logo of the company or whoever's advertising it. And, uh, you know, it, you get that keepsake and, and it was free back then. And some people walked away with uh, five or six. <laughs> exactly. So low. <laughs> right. How about Coliseum Video? Okay, I, Coliseum Video is one of my uh, my treasures. I do a, uh, a sub uh, podcast called Coliseum Chad where we go back and talk about the history of Coliseum Video. Uh, there's a ton of Coliseum Video promotional pictures out there because of the, the NAPTI conventions and the different in-store signings and some of the, uh, the, the booths at the Fan Fest in the mid-90s. Where's the Coliseum Video promo rank in terms of rarity and maybe price demand? Well, it depends who the star is. Uh, they are they started in the eighties, so there are Coliseum videos from the eighties right through to about probably ninety five, ninety six, and uh, you know right before it turned into WWE home video. And man, some of them are just so hard to find. You know, one of the ones that I sold off in my last collection was a Shawn Michaels Diesel. Uh, they weren't pictured together. Again, it was two separate photos side by side. And I had it signed by both members and it had the Coliseum home video logo. You know, some of those promos are just so difficult to find. It's not something you can go on eBay and just type it in and, oh, here's a couple to choose from. You're going to see one pop up maybe once every two years. Um, unless a collector, you know, happens to, to dump one online. But they are very hard to come by. Uh, VSDA convention is another one where they have the VSDA logo on it very similar looking to the Coliseum home video promos. Um, there's a lot of those primarily in the eighties, uh, with all the big superstars and, 
they're just so cool. I, I love all those unique promos, the the oddball promos, but again, they're just so hard to come by. I know which one you're talking about too with Shawn Michaels and Diesel, and that is a uh, that's a damn good picture. <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> sorry to see that one go. I'm sorry for you on that one, but hey, it hurts. It hurts a little bit, you know. <laughs> but you're doing a great job in rebuilding from the uh, from the lot that you uh, you let go. Uh, now, this is my final question before we get into the uh, the, the final uh, swing here. Signed or unsigned? Does it matter if it's a rare one? Are you, is it going to be a make or break thing for you? Or are you just, again, is it just about completing and having as many as possible? Well, really, I mean, the value itself is, is in the promo. Um, the value isn't really in the autograph when it comes to promos, for the most part. Unless it's somebody who has passed on, like an Owen Hart or Yokozuna, Brian Pillman, somebody like that. Obviously, Texas Tornado, Kurt Henning. The value is going to be huge. Um, but when it comes to an autograph, really the autograph itself isn't adding too much to it as a way in the way of value. Um, so if it's like a Kevin Nash, you know, his promo could be super rare if if you have a certain one, and then you add his autograph, it's only another worth another forty bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, really, it's all about the promo photo itself. That's what people are after that's what they're trying to collect so what i do is i usually try to get them unsigned personally and then i will get them signed myself what's the best score like what's the best story that goes along now and we'll take the 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 mom writing the letter to the wwf out of it what is your like marquee like i cannot believe i landed blank by doing blank give me the best one. Oh man <laughs> well uh geez you know what i would have to say when i when I started collecting pretty, you know, big into it again, I would say that was probably about maybe the beginning of COVID I started getting back into it. Um, I scored a collection from a buddy who had, he, he was a radio DJ and he had promos in his attic and uh, they were there for 25 plus years and they were in pristine condition. He sold me the entire box and it was like, it was like Christmas in July. And so, you know, the, the box arrives, um, open it up. There's a stack, you know, I knew a couple of them, but I didn't really know what I was getting entirely. And it was a stack of probably, I want to say 200 or more promo, uh, promotional photos. And they were all in pristine condition. And that was definitely the biggest find for me, it was mostly eighties, but a lot of mid nineties as well. Just some promos that you never see black and white smoking guns with the tag team belts. Very rare one, uh, black and white bull Nakano, you know, just a lot of promos that you don't see often the Quebecers with the tag team titles. And then more recently, I would say the biggest find for me was connecting with Tom Buchanan, the former photographer for the WWF. He was there for about 25 years. Yeah. And, uh, he's had this stuff in storage. We've talked back and forth for the past 10 years. I always reached out to him trying to get some stuff and he's like, well, you know, it's in storage if I do have any promos and, uh, I'll let you know if I ever find them. And he actually came through 10 years later, he found them and has, uh, been unboxing everything and kind of sharing some stuff online and, uh, talking about it, telling the backstory to it. And I have been lucky enough to, uh, get about 60 promos from him just in the past three or four weeks. Uh, 60 promo photos. Some of them are just unbelievably rare. Some I've never seen before. Really rare Linda McMahon and uh, also a ring used uh, 
WWF uh, turnbuckle as well. Very cool. And again, you know, the collector's chase is never over. So you will still find stuff that you never knew existed. And you will still find people like another Tom Buchanan. Maybe not the guy who took the pictures like Tom Buchanan. But you'll find somebody else out there who will have the amazing score. How about uh, any of the boys? Have you had any luck getting a photo from any of the guys? Uh, Rikishi, actually. I bought a few off of him. He had the uh, the color shot with the Intercontinental Championship, which is considered to be very rare. Oh, nice. And uh, even more so, the black and white shot of Fatu Make a Difference from 95. Uh, easily Rikishi's rarest promo and one of the rarest promos of the Attitude Era. Um, he just had a couple originals laying around in his closet and uh, sold them off a couple of years ago. And that's again where you just you come in at the right time, and uh, <laughs> the world works in your favor at least for one day. <laughs> exactly, so it's, uh, it's very cool. But yeah, that's a great story. I actually uh, Coco Beware. I did a show with him in Southern Maryland, and I was in his hotel room with him, and he opened his bag, and at the top of the bag were was a stack of high energy. <laughs> oh wow! Photos, and I said, uh, "Are you putting those on the table tonight?" And he said, yeah, why? I was like, I would take those home if I were you and don't put them on the table tonight. And uh, my goal was to then get a hold of them, and I never did. So oh, I, dropped man. I dropped the ball uh, for sure. <laughs> but he said, yeah, they gave us a stack, me and Owen. I took half. Owen took the other half, and this is what I have left. It was still like 15, 20 uh, pictures at least. So I dropped the ball on that one, Joe. I'll, uh, take, I'll take the L. <laughs> that hurts. That hurts. And it's funny, like some of the superstars were given boxes like we talked about, but there are also other stars that obviously their expertise was in the ring and it wasn't, you know, with promos or collecting or anything like that. And they think they are original and they're not original. And that's right. happened a lot of times too with, with even, you know, the stars themselves. They don't know what they're selling. They don't really, they just hear about promos. Oh, this must be a promo. This must be original. Correct. And uh, unfortunately, it happens with them too. But like Coco, for the most part, you know, those are all true stories. They get boxes and they have them stashed away for 20 years. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying about the guys thinking that, you know, they see the uh, stuff coming up to the table and then they're, they got stars in their eyes. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all good. But, uh, Joe, this has been a lot of fun. Before we let you go, tell the, uh, the listeners of New Generation Declassified everything going on in your world. You're, uh, you're building up to the next New England Fan Fest. I don't know how, and we'll have to talk about this, that you got uh, the great Bill Dunn to finally come out of hiding and appear next year at the new England fan fest. So tell the listeners about it and where they can find everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Bill Dunn. We're very excited to have, uh, he is somebody I've personally been searching for since he left the world wrestling federation, 1997. <laughs> so, uh, this is, I like those obscure guests. I'm the one who found, uh, you know, Mario Mancini. I was able to find Jamison winger, get him out of retirement and, uh, and it's going to be built on this year, but it's Saturday. Uh, well, Friday and Saturday, the 28th, 29th of July, next summer, it's going to be at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, Friday will just be the Hall of Fame ceremony in the evening. And then Saturday, the 29th of July, will be the Fan Fest itself. That's going to be from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, tickets are on sale now, immortalseats.com. You can purchase them at the door as well. All kinds of superstars, Birdman, Coco Beware, uh, Money Incorporated, Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Uh, we've got Typhoon, Demolition, Powers of Pain, Glamour Girls, you name it. Bill Dunn, uh, some of the new generation superstars, Duke the Dumpster, Drossy, and uh, Los Barricos Reunion. So it's going to be a lot for the fans, uh, Q&A sessions, autographs, you name it. 
Uh, if you are somebody that just wants to get a general admission ticket, you know, 15 bucks, browse around, check it out. There's tons of vendors, merchandise, you name it. So there's something for everybody and uh, looking forward to uh, Warwick next summer. I uh, I get at least one of the high energy pictures after you talk to Coco that I told you that. Uh, yes, that yes. <laughs> I get at least one uh, in the deal. So uh, absolutely no, great. Uh, I'm really glad we were able to connect. I think it was a long time coming, based off of some of the mutual people that I uh, I've talked to over the years, and it's great to uh, to to get you on and talk about this. So continue your uh, collecting uh, journey, and uh, maybe we'll check back in with you down the line. Will do, man. I appreciate it, and uh, it was my pleasure, and would love to be on anytime. All right, and if we uh, we didn't bore you by now, this is uh, your old buddy, the Chadster, at ChadEMV on Twitter, IBExclusives.com. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.